Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So uh, I'm really excited today because we are, we're kicking off a new series for the next three weeks. We took some time over the previous three to four weeks to, to look at some of the core of who we are as a church, who we want to be, and we really, um, the crescendo of that, that series in Exodus was the crossing of the Red Sea and the explanation of baptism. What, what is the importance in the explanation of baptism? And last Sunday, friends, I've been here, we've been here over six years now, and I was I think I can safely say this. This was, last Sunday was one of the most impactful and just personally just powerful Sundays in the history of our church since I've been here watching what God did, not just in those who were signed up to get baptized, but in all of those who made the decision last Sunday to give their life to Christ and to get baptized. So it was really a powerful, powerful weekend for us as a church. So grateful for what God is doing and excited about the days ahead. But This series that we're gonna hit on for the next few weeks before we jump into Love the 50 week, and then we have, um, heading into the rest of the fall, I'm gonna be preaching through the Gospel of John. So Gospel of John is on the horizon, beginning to just study that right now. But for the next few weeks, we're gonna hit on a series that really focuses on some of the most important relationships of our life. And this series, we've decided to call it First Comes Love, Then Comes... Yeah, some of you know the song, right? Some of you have some PTSD from that moment when you were in elementary school and you accidentally sat a little too close to a member of the opposite sex during lunch and then one of your friends started, you know, chanting out and the whole lunchroom chimed in. You know, they went, Joe and Sally sitting in a tree. First comes, then comes, then comes a. Yeah, you all, we all know it. Give yourselves a hand. I mean, come on. You know, I'm sure I have some repressed PTSD and trauma from that moment, but the truth is this hopefully it goes in that order. Amen, somebody. And we know that, gosh, the truth is this there is, there is no other place in our life, no other area in our life. In the, in the seasons of singleness and dating and marriage and parenting and family where we can face the greatest pain, the greatest hardship, the, gr- the greatest trials and struggles, and we know often it just doesn't go according to plan, it doesn't go the way that we hoped it would, and it's one of those areas where the enemy can really get a foothold and derail our lives. And so we're gonna spend several weeks looking at this because for me as a pastor over the years, as I've sat and listened and talked with people and counseled and prayed, what I found is this. One of the primary sources of the most pain, the most sorrow, the most uh, deep wounding in life comes from one of these seasons of life, whether it's in the dating realm, the marriage realm, or just the reality of family life and family dynamics. And I know this to be true, as I've experienced it myself, but also as so many of us have lived through this reality, and I've talked to so many people about this progression and this reality, what I've discovered, what I've found is that, you know, typically... Before dating comes singleness. So there's a season that we all go through where we're single. And most of you in the room are saying, you know, when I was single, I wanted to get married or I'm single right now and I'm trying to find someone to get married to. So singleness typically progresses into dating. And whatever issues that you may have... (laughs) During singleness, dating, engagement, all of this prior season to marriage, I just want to say this so clearly (laughs) from experience. Marriage will not fix those problems. 
In fact, it's the exact opposite. Whatever issues you have up here before marriage, marriage amplifies those problems. Whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, walking through in life while you're dating, engaged, while you're single, they have, these issues have a crazy tendency to follow you in to the marriage and just explode right there. <laughs> and it's true for all of us. I don't say that to shame anyone. I don't say that because it didn't happen to me. It definitely did happen to me. Still happens to me, praise God. And there is this reality where marriage is is not something that fixes us. It's something that amplifies the things that we're already walking through. And then let's just take it one step fur further. Whatever things you may be facing if you're married in this room, whatever struggles you may have with your spouse, whatever hardships you may be walking through relationally in your marriage, <laughs> this goes without saying, it's not gonna be fixed by kids. It's just not... I promise you, whatever is happening there is just gonna get amplified as you start your family and add kids into the equation. Life does not get easier or more simple as you progress. It gets harder and more complicated. And whatever things that you're walking through right now and whatever season of life you find yourself in, the next season of life is only going to make it harder. And today, we're gonna talk about this season of life before marriage, the season of singleness and dating. When you're single and you wanna get married, when you're dating and you're trying to discern, is this the person I'm called to marry? Man, how do you, how do, you do that season well? How do you ask the right questions? Yes, absolutely, we know this to be true. No matter who you marry, they're gonna surprise you a little bit once you get married. All the married folks said, amen. There are gonna be some surprises on the other side of those wedding vows, but there are some things that we, can, that we can do in the dating season, in the season of singleness, that will help us as we head into the season of marriage. They will help us build a stronger foundation. And I wanna look at those today. And even though the Bible doesn't explicitly talk about dating, it does talk about singleness, we'll look at that. Even though the modern reality of dating as we know it today is nothing like what it used to be 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus, there are some principles, there are some things that we can apply from Scripture to our life today that I believe can help us not just survive but thrive in our singleness in our dating, in our engagement, in our married lives, and in our family lives. I know this to be true. We know this to be true. Finding a date or even getting married is not the hardest part. It's not the hardest part. I mean, I remember the first time I went to South Lake Tahoe. I've never been into this establishment, but I've seen it. I'm pretty sure there's one in Vegas too, but there was a wedding chapel right there in Tahoe. I'm sure if you wanted to get married bad enough, you could find a way to find somebody to marry you in that wedding chapel. I wouldn't recommend it, especially not if you just met them. But there's lots of people who've gotten married. You can get married without too much, you know, red tape in front of you in that moment. You can go on a date. Lots of people do it all the time. But finding the right person in the right way whom you are going to spend the rest of your life with in a healthy, strong marriage that stands the test of time and makes it through the storms of life, friends, that is hard. That's really hard. And it's interesting because in the Bible, as we look at this first category of singleness and dating, I know there are many people in this room that are thinking to themselves, man, I just can't wait till I'm out of this category and into this category. Come on, Jesus, help me out. I need to find the right person. I need to know if they're the right person. I'm, I'm sick and tired of this category. I wanna be in this category. And I know there are some people in this room or watching online, you're in this category. 
and you're thinking to yourself, dear God, get me out of this category. <laughs> Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't like nudge them. Maybe you're in this category and you're thinking, what have we done, right? And there are many different realities and difficulties in each of these seasons of life. And, you know, if you're single or dating and you're longing for marriage, that's a good thing. And marriage is a gift, but marriage is hard. And just, you know, go find a married couple in this church who's been married for 10 years or more. And they're going to look at you and just be like, wait, you know, what do you do when you get home from work? You have free time. What is free time? What is discretionary time? I forgot what that was like. You can just call a friend and go hang out. What do you, what do you mean? Just looking around at all the, the men in the room here who are married and have kids. You know, our hair's falling out. Our testosterone is dropping. Friends, every season in one level or another, every season is a gift from God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians uh, 7, chapter 7. He says, I wish everyone were single, just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Paul, in this chapter, as you read the whole chapter in the context, he's not saying singleness is a greater gift than marriage. Paul believes the institution, the gift of marriage, is a wonderful and powerful gift from God. It was designed by God. And it was given to us as a gift. And we see the first union of man and woman in the Garden of Eden. And God made it so clear it's not good for man to be alone. Marriage is a blessing. But Paul says, look, singleness can be a gift too. If you know how to use it rightly, that season before marriage can be a gift. And, you know, the truth is this. Sometimes... What we want is not always best for us. The gift that we think we want, that desire to get married, there is a time where God will cause it not to work out for whatever reason. Or you know you need to step away from the relationship you're in. And there is a time where that gift of singleness, even though, gosh, it's not what you want, it is best for you until you're ready for marriage. And sometimes what's best for us is not always what we want. I think about Christmas as a kid. I'll never forget, um, growing up, often we would spend Christmas with alternating grandparents, my mom's parents and my dad's parents. And we affectionately referred to my mom's parents because they lived in Kentucky. Um, specifically, my mom's mom, we referred to her as country grandma. And historically, over the years, country grandma, man, loved her to death. Storm and Imogene Norman, I've shared stories of her before. Amazing woman. She just turned 90, guys. She just turned 90. It's amazing. Um, but historically, she did not give great Christmas gifts. And I remember, you know, every year that we would spend Christmas with country grandma, it was kind of like, oh man, like, just buckle up, you know, pretend to be happy. As an eight or nine or 10 year old little boy, that's really hard to do. And she would, you know, she would call my parents and she'd say, okay, what do the kids want this year? And my parents would say, well, you know, maybe this or that. Here's a few options. And then she would just drive to TJ Maxx, go straight to the clearance aisle, and just pick out whatever was on clearance. So like a scented candle and a picture frame. And that's what we get. It wasn't always that bad, but it was pretty close. And city grandma was the other grandma. My dad's parents lived in Charlotte, North Carolina. And if we drive to Charlotte or she'd be in town, we were always pumped. Yes, city grandma's in town. The gifts are going to be awesome, you know, because she would call my parents and she'd get what was on the list. And then one year, one weird, crazy year, it was just flip-flopped. And we went to go visit country grandma for Christmas. And I'm not kidding. I mean, I was probably nine at the time. My brother was a few years younger. And she got us slingshots 
And I'm not talking like, you know, like the little dollar store sling. I'm talking like surgical tubing with the forearm brace, a bag of like tiny lead balls. And on the back of the package, there were all these pictures of woodland creatures that you were supposed to kill with the slingshot. (laughs) And I, I was like, this is the greatest Christmas ever. You know, me and my brother are like, oh my gosh, Christmas grandma, I mean, country grandma came through. And so we, um, yeah, it was awesome, right? We loved it. And then, you know, a few, we headed home a few days later, city grandma came through and she handed uh, me and my brother and sister, she handed us envelopes. And inside the envelopes were, uh, I guess, statements or receipts of stock that she had purchased for us. And my parents were so excited about that. But my little nine-year-old self and my younger brother were like, what is happening in the universe? Like country grandma destroyed city grandma this year on the gift list. And I just remember, you know, listening to my grandma. She tried to explain the benefit of stock to my nine-year-old brain. And I was like, how am I supposed to play with this right now? What a What good is this for me right now? Like, none at all. Thank you, but no thank you. This is worse than a picture frame or a scented candle. It's a piece of paper. It's not even money. I can't even, like, buy anything with this right now. What is this good for? And and I thought about this, and I'm like, you know, what we want is not always best for us, and what's best for us is not always what we want. And this was really played out clearly in my life because within a few days... Both my brother and myself had either physical like wounds on our body from shooting each other with these slingshots from country grandma or literally like, you know, lead balls embedded under our skin that had to be removed by my mom who thankfully was a nurse. We loved it, but it wasn't maybe best for us. I don't know, maybe it was. And then years later, Because my parents never reminded me of the stock that my grandmother had given me. I came to realize, wow, that was one of the greatest gifts that's ever been given to me. Praise God for city grandma. Come on, somebody. You know, once you get married and start having kids and you're like, wow, city grandma came through, you know? There's just that reality. And I I say all that affectionately. I have deep love for for my grandparents, but it's such a good picture of, man, each season of life, if you will receive this and believe it from the Lord, whether you're single, dating, engaged, married, whether you're starting a family, wanting to start a family, whether you're a grandparent who is getting to spoil grandkids, whatever season it may be, it's a gift. And God is gonna use that season in a powerful way to shape you and to mold you. And friends, singleness and dating, as Paul shares, it it is a gift. It's a gift if we understand the purpose behind it. But we have to understand there are some principles about this season of life that if we don't get this right, if we don't understand these things and apply some of these things from God's word, man, we, we can make a mess of every season of our life. That's one thing we're all really great at. Is, is not living according to perhaps the way of Jesus and therefore our hearts are prone to make a mess of these different seasons. And so four things that I wanna look at today to help us thrive in the season of singleness and dating are these four things. Number one, we're gonna unpack these. You have to set the right course. You have to set the right course for your life in this area of relationships. You have to know the destination. You have to know what you long for in the end, which is a strong, healthy marriage that withstands the tests of life and a a strong, healthy family that is produced out of that marriage. Number two, you have to set the right expectations. You have to understand what that person is going to fulfill in you and what they are never going to be able to fulfill in you. You have to set the right expectations on the relationship. Number three, man, don't miss the details. The details matter. We'll dive into some of those. And then number four, true love. We have to realize that true love has an order. 
There's an order to how love progresses in our culture, and there's an order for how God designed our love for one another, romantic love to progress according to Scripture. I do know this to be true. In our world today, dating has never been harder. Singleness has never been more complicated. I came across this crazy article this past week. I don't even know how I stumbled on it about Lewis and Clark when they returned from their journey scouting across America after, after the Louisiana Purchase. And I mean, it was, it was a two-year trek all the way from, you know, basically the East Coast to the West Coast. They're charting it out. They're finding their way through unknown territories. They're crossing the Rocky Mountains and then the Sierra Nevadas and finally arriving at the West Coast before they come back And when they came back, Clark of Lewis and Clark was able to find a wife, settle down, and get married. But Meriwether Lewis, the other man, he wrote in his journal because he could not find a wife. He said, I've never felt like less of a hero than in this area of my life. In many ways, Lewis and Clark, they were American heroes, they had scouted out this new land and they, they were the beginning of the westward expansion in the early 1800s of all Americans, of those who chose to move west. And yet this guy who navigated uncharted, an uncharted continent and made maps along the way to show the rest of America where things were, he could not figure out dating or marriage. So take heart. <laughs> Because it is hard and it hasn't gotten any easier and the rules are weird, they're difficult. I've listened, I've spoken to many of you and you know now with the, the integration of the iPhone and dating apps and should I call, do I text? How long should I wait after a first date to call or text? You know, we're not sure how to talk to each other anymore and should we even say in this process that we're dating, let's be exclusive, like how does this work? I'm so glad I married my high school sweetheart. I don't know if I could handle this, right? A friend of mine is pastoring a church in Washington, D.C., and he, uh, not long ago, he met with the chief of staff for the Senate, and he just, who goes to his church, and he said, hey, we're a local church here in town, you know, how can we serve you guys? And the chief of staff was sitting across from him. He could have said anything. And he paused and he looks at my friend and he goes, none of my staff, none of these people, none of them know how to date. It's wrecking their personal lives, which is wrecking their work lives and everything else. Their relationships are a mess. Are you gonna preach about that at all? That'd be really helpful for me. (laughs) I could send a lot of people to your church if you do that. But it's true. If we face pain and dysfunction in any area of our life in these relationships, it has a tendency to overflow into every other area of our life. And that's why we're hitting on this because the Bible does have a lot to say about this. And following Jesus is not mainly about showing up here on Sunday morning, though this is a vitally important part. It's mainly about how do we live and act in the most important relationships of our lives? How do we surrender and submit to the way of Jesus in the most important area of our lives? And friends, who we choose to marry, who we choose to spend the rest of our life with is one of the most important areas of our lives. We know this is true. Divorce rates have never been higher. Parenting in this generation is like navigating a minefield. Whoever you choose to marry in in your season, if you're single or dating, whoever you choose to marry is going to have to be somebody who is truly, who you can truly see as a life partner through seasons of life and through difficulties that no generation before us has had to navigate new and more difficult things that we are going to have to navigate. And I do believe there are fresh strength and strategies from God and the grace of God to offer you a new path 
to offer you some hope in these areas, especially if you're discouraged, especially if you are discouraged in your dating life, in your singleness, in your married life, or in your parenting. I believe God's word has some hope that it's going to offer us over the next three weeks. So stay leaned in with us. So number one, setting the right course setting the right course and really when i think about setting the right course what i'm what i'm talking about here is destination and priorities keeping your destination in view and establishing your priorities in dating within dating you're going to need to understand that gosh where i'm headed where i want to end up if I want to have a healthy marriage and a healthy family that stands the test of time, not a perfect marriage, not a perfect family, those don't exist, but a healthy marriage and a healthy family that stands the test of time, then I need to set the right course. I need to understand that's my destination, so what should be my priorities? Now, Paul, when he's talking about singleness and marriage in 1 Corinthians 7, he says some really seemingly bizarre and fascinating things. He says this, starting in verse 29. He says, let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short, very short. So from now on, those with wives, those who are married, should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. I mean, if you think about some of the things he's hitting on here, he's talking about marriage. He's talking about, uh, you know, sorrow, weeping, rejoicing. He's talking about your happiness. He's talking about the buying and selling of goods, those who engage in, in business with one another. He's talking about some of the most important areas of your life, and he's saying, okay, those of you who are living this thing called life, who are fully aware of the most important areas of life, need to put all of those in the proper perspective, and prioritize them properly. He goes on, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. Don't become attached to the things of the world for this world as we know it will soon pass away. The first thing that Paul is talking about here, and if you, if you read through your Bible, you are going to see God talking about relationships, God talking about marriage, the union of man and wife. He talks about it in Genesis. He talks about it in Ephesians. There are, there's an entire book devoted to it called the Song of Songs right there in the middle of your Bible. It's, it's in there for sure. But the primary, the main focus of scripture is God's redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. It's the story of what went wrong and how God has entered that story to redeem it and bring healing and hope to the rest of the story. And Paul is saying, hey, this world, all the things of this world that are consuming your heart and your mind and your attention right now, they're important, they're very important. God cares about those, but they're about to pass away. I mean, once you become a parent, your concept of time speeds up. I blinked and I have a teenager. My daughter turned 13. I'm freaking out about that. How did that happen? Many of you in the room blinked and your, parents, and your kids are off to college or they're married or now you have a grandbaby and you're thinking, what? How, how did we get here? Paul is saying, look, there are there are realities in this life, even though it may feel like right now, gosh, I, I can't imagine not being married. I can't imagine not finding that person. It's all consuming to me. But there are things that are true about this life in the world that if you understand, hey, this final destination is the new heaven and the new earth, is God's restoration of all things. And yes, all these areas of my life, they are important and God cares about them, but they're not the ultimate thing. My ultimate joy and happiness and sorrow and contentment and peace, it does not rest in how my business is going, 
and, and how my relationships are going, ultimately, yes, those will impact your joy and your happiness and your peace. But the main thing is God's plan of redemption for the whole world. That's your main focus. That's your main priority. And then the healthiest marriages are actually born out of that prioritization of God and the gospel and God's plan for the world. Friends, I wanna say it like this. We should care much more about the status of their soul if you're dating someone. The status of their soul before God than the relationship status with us. The ultimate destination and the ultimate health of their soul is more important than their relationship status with us. But we are inherently selfish people. So mostly we think about their relationship status with us. Can they give to me what I long for, what I desire? So number one, set the right course. Number two, set the right expectations. And in this area, I believe there are, there are two ways, especially, gosh, when we are single or dating, there's two things that we can do as we're looking towards marriage that can really derail that experience, right? You have to set the right expectations. There's two idols of singleness. The first one is dependence, and the second one is independence. Here's how these uh, idolatries go. Here's how they work. If you're struggling with the idolatry of dependence, it kind of sounds like this in your heart, okay? I will never be happy. In fact, I'm going to die until I find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. You know, it's the Jerry Maguire moment, right? It's, he realizes, oh my gosh, Renee Zellweger, I can never live without you. And he shows up to try and win her back and he closes with that incredible line, you complete me. Exactly. No, Tom Cruise, she does not. I promise you. Whoever you're looking to, especially when you're thinking of that romance and that connection in the dating season, there is a moment when you're gonna realize that even though you think that what you need most in this life is that relationship or that person to fill that hole in your soul, I promise you there's a day coming that no matter how attracted you are, no matter how much chemistry you have with that person, you're gonna look at that person and just think, I don't wanna see their face again ever in my entire life. I promise you, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen in your marriage. It's gonna happen in every romantic relationship that you have. The, the, it's called the honeymoon season for a reason. Honeymoons aren't real. They're awesome. They're not real life. You know, you take a week or two to fully escape the realities of life and celebrate your new marriage, and then you come back to the real world where you've got to stay married and be married to this person for the rest of your life, for better, for worse. So when you're dating, recognize if there's a part of you, and I think about it in John 4 with the woman at the well, when Jesus is with her, he says in John 4, he answers her because when he meets her, he says, hey, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. And she's like, you don't even have a bucket to draw water. And he says, well, go ask your husband for a, a bucket and I'll draw water with that. And she goes, I have no husband, to which he replies, um, you're right, you've had five and the man you're living with now, you're not married to. And he doesn't shame her. He doesn't ridicule her or beat her down in that moment. He just says, look, you're looking for something in those guys that they cannot give you. They will not complete you, right? He said, everyone who drinks this water from this well, everyone who thinks a relationship is going to fix the deepest longing and desires of their heart, they're gonna be thirsty again. They're gonna be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Jesus says, look, if you're struggling with that idea that, man, I just, I gotta find Mr. Right, I gotta find Mrs. Right, or there's just gonna be a hole in my soul, I promise you, that person will not satisfy your deepest needs and you will hit a point where the romance and the attraction fades and that has to be anchored on something deeper and that is your satisfaction in Christ alone. Now, the other idolatry that we looked at was this reality of independence. And that narrative goes something like this. I don't wanna be needed or hindered by anyone. I don't wanna be tied down by commitment. I don't like it when people start to get possessive with my time or my schedule. I've got goals. I've got a career. You know, and marriage and kids, it's just gonna slow me down. My freedom and independence is more important to me than settling down and committing to somebody for the rest of my life. You know, it sounds like this in their mind. I'm just too young to settle down. To which I would say, you're 65, it's time to settle down. Some of us struggle with this, this reality of the idolatry of independence. Man, I just don't wanna be tied down. I don't wanna be bothered by all these things. And yes, there is a true reality that marriage is going to, quote unquote, tie you down. It is a massive commitment, but it's also one of God's greatest tools to sanctify you, change you, mold you, and even to set you free from the deepest areas of struggle and stronghold in your life. Examine your heart, your soul, in this season of singleness or dating. Do you struggle with dependence or independence? The next one, and we'll, we'll hit these quickly, I do believe they're important, but the next one is simply this. The details matter. When you're dating, when you're trying to decide, is this somebody that I could spend the rest of my life with, raise a family with? Is this someone that I should pursue romantically in this way? Friends, just practically, you gotta ask some questions and look at some things in their life. Take a look at their friendships. Who do they hang out with? Who are they around? What are they doing on the weekends? I promise you, if they're, if they're just living a fast lifestyle where they're fully engaged in a hookup culture and moving from relationship to relationship and they're surrounded with people that are doing the same thing, the moment that they enter into a committed relationship, it's gonna be a hard left turn and a bumpy road. I'm not saying if that's your story or that nobody who's lived that way can ever change and turn around, but who they hang with and how they're living matters. Take a look at that. Character and integrity, this matters. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. Does this person exemplify love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? Do they tell the truth or are you constantly catching them in lies? Look at their character, look at their integrity, look at the, the narrative of their life. What do you see? Don't just make decisions based on the feelings of the moment. Feelings come and go. The person that you choose to marry, you are with forever. Take a look at the picture of their whole life. Look for humility. I say this to everybody in marriage counseling or anything, if they're dating. Do not marry somebody that you've not had a really good fight with. Come on, somebody. Because you need to see how things go after the fight. Especially when both parties are convinced they're right. Does he come and say sorry? Does she come and own her part? Is there a sign of humility within them that says, I could be wrong here. I wanna fight for restoration. Do you see humility? And then lastly, you wanna know what they struggle with. All of us have struggles. There is no perfect person. You're not gonna find the perfect person out there but you want to know somebody well enough to understand, man, what do they struggle with? There's a couple funny Proverbs that I came across. Proverbs has a lot to say about relationships. Uh, one of them, Proverbs 21.9 says, it's better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Husbands, do not look at your wife right now. 
because the next one's for you. A man without self-control is like a city that has been broken into and it's left without walls. So you have to look at your own heart. You have to look at the whole picture of someone's life and you know, men, you have to ask yourself the question. Women, you have to ask yourself the question, is this person a, a glutton for drama? Do everywhere they go, man, it just feels like drama and fights and things are breaking out and, and, and sort of the wake of who they are as a person, gosh, it's just clear something's going on. Are they always arguing? Are you constantly fighting? You know, and Solomon, who's writing this to a young man who's not married, I imagine like, <laughs> he's not writing this verse to a married man who's like hanging off the side of his roof, the corner of his roof, like, thanks man, wish I would have known that before. That's not the context. He's writing this to people before they get married. Hey, look at the narrative of somebody's life. Figure out if the person struggles with self-control. Do they have a temper? Are they just a jerk? Are they rude to people all the time? Are they prone to addictive behavior? Do they lack self-control in some of the key areas of life? Look, I'm not saying that person isn't the right person because everyone's gonna struggle in some area of their life. I'm just saying, ask the questions because even though he may be so hot or she may be so hot and all the chemistry is there, they may not be safe. Like a city without walls is not safe. You may never feel safe with that person. That's a big deal. I wanna close with this, my last thing. True love has an order. This is so important because C.S. Lewis, I adapted these from him. He recognized four types of love in the world. Storge, which is romantic, emotional love. That's the feeling. That's the honeymoon season. The early days of dating. Man, it's so fun, right? The feeling of romantic love. Eros is erotic and physical love. Uh, phylos is friendship. It's the love that develops out of friendship over time. And then agape is commitment and service. It's selfless love. It's you know, what the Bible and what the Greeks believed to be the highest form of love because it's not based on just physical attraction or feelings. It goes deeper than that. It's based on a covenant commitment that says, I'm willing to lay down my life for this person for the rest of my life. I love them that much. And what we see in our culture, how our culture works, and you can see this just by watching reality television shows, and you know it's true in your own life. In my life, this is often how we work. Let's just hypothetically say you walked into a room full of potential candidates for your husband or for your wife. You immediately begin to screen those people, don't you? And what are the first things that you are looking for? Am I physically attracted to anybody here? Okay, next, let's have a little talk, a little conversation. How's the flirting going? Is there any romantic chemistry happening here? How does this person make me feel? And these first two areas, they're all about you. It's about us, right? It's a very selfish form of love, if that's the basis. And there was a show that came out not long ago. It kind of took, you know, Netflix by storm. It was the number one show on Netflix for a while. And I will not confess or deny whether or not my wife and I binged watched this show. Um, and I'm not recommending this show to anybody. So there's my pastoral disclaimer right now. But it's called Love is Blind. You know you've seen it. Don't even act like you haven't. And it's, it's kind of like the exact opposite of a dating show where the bachelor or the bachelorette is sort of anchored on, hey, we're gonna like see if there's chemistry with a, you know, 100 different people and see if there's a connection and it's all based on, am I physically attracted? Is there chemistry? And then, you know, what often happens in the dating scene and the hookup culture of our world today, it's like, okay, if I'm physically attracted and we got some romantic feelings and chemistry, you know, um, next we're, you know, we're gonna have have sex and see how that goes. And then maybe we'll figure out if we're friends. If we actually kind of like each other. Because friendship takes time. 
You gotta really get to know somebody, their interests, their, the deepest things in their heart. And you know, this is sort of right off the top. And so Love is Blind was this reality show where people had to meet each other without seeing each other. And the whole premise was, is love blind? Can these people choose to get married having never seen the other person, but only having spoken to them? Can love flourish? Can it begin with friendship? Is there some sort of a romantic spark? Can we build a friendship, get to know each other before we even see what the other person looks like? And you just get sucked in. I mean, it's just like, what? I'm neither admitting or denying that I have seen this. And what's crazy is eventually they get to a point where they say, hey, I, I think I want to spend the rest of my life with you, which also is insane, but that's part of the insanity of it. And then they see each other for the first time. And there's this moment where the doors open and they're walking to each other and you can see that even though, you know, they're like, hey, we're gonna do this different than all the other dating reality shows and we're gonna build this on friendship and connection. It's like the moment they look at each other, they're either like, oh, this was better than I thought. Or they're like, it's good enough. Or they're like, ah, breaks, pause, I can't do this. Not gonna happen. Like the guy goes in for the kiss, the girl's like side hug, like not happening. And then the wrecking ball happens because they get all these people together and they're with whoever they decided to be with in the pods before they saw each other. They bring them all out to some resort in some beautiful spot. And then they get to see all the people that they said no to, that they almost said yes to. And you realize, oh my gosh, it's all basically still built on Eros and Storge. It doesn't matter how strong that friendship connection was in the pods, as soon as they get out there into the real world, typically this just like crumbles. And what God says is this. This is the truth. Because if you, if you build a marriage on this first, if that's the foundation before you even get into friendship and will this person be a lifelong partner that champions the best in me and works through the worst of me and somebody that I can build my life with on common pursuit and goals and dreams, if you start here and then try to figure that out, eventually this is gonna fade. This will probably not be strong enough and the reality of agape is gonna become another statistic on the divorce line in America. There is no commitment and service lifelong through all of it. And what God, what the Bible lays out, I believe is this idea of first, when you walk into a room, when you're looking for that person of who you're gonna spend the rest of your life with, don't screen people out too quick. Start with friendship. Is this somebody I connect with? Is this somebody that I, that I am that I see myself in friendship with because the best marriages are built on the strongest friendships between husband and wife. And if the friendship is flourishing and it grows in the context of that community, then you'll just sort of start to notice that, man, there's some storge happening right here. Some romantic and emotional feelings that, that are, are kind of welling up from deep within outside of this friendship, maybe they feel the same way. And if they do, you begin to date. You begin to say, we're gonna try this. We're gonna see if marriage is for us. And then the next step is commitment. Based on the depth of this friendship, the common pursuit, common faith in Jesus Christ, the foundation, and, and friends, that's the assumption of all this, right? Do not, I just strongly recommend this. If you're in that dating season, do not go too far down the road with somebody of an opposite faith or without faith before diving into that truly to see, is this going to happen for the rest of my life? I, missionary dating is not a good idea. Rarely works. You want somebody who is equally yoked with you in the most important area of your life, which is your faith. And I know that's not everybody's story. I understand that some of you got married before faith was a factor for either of you. I'm not saying you should end the marriage or that's a deal breaker. I'm just saying that's number one. That's massively important. But out of all of this, 
from the foundation of friendship, faith in Christ, and then the romance that comes from within that, then you move to the commitment and the service and you say, I'm pledging my whole life to you. Body, heart, mind, and soul finances, every area, and then from there you get to enjoy the gift and the blessing of erotic and physical love. Within, within the context of that whole life commitment, when it's outside of that, it confuses all the rest of it. And I know this is not the culture we live in. I know this is not the way that most of us go about this. But friends, Ephesians 5.25 defines marriage for us in this way. And it really goes for husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. Agape love, the love that lasts a lifetime, is just like the love that Christ had for us, choosing to lay down your life for the other person. When we build our standards for dating, selfishly around our needs, our wants, our desires, that marriage that flows out of that selfishness is gonna need a lot of work, a lot of healing, often will not last. When it's built on the selflessness of agape and the, the union of friendship, the romance that comes and goes, the attraction that comes and goes, those won't be the final factors that keep your marriage together and healthy and thriving to the end. And friends, we, we know this, I know this to be true. There's so many different stories in this room and realities and none of this is meant to be a commentary on your current situation. It's meant to be helpful and to help you understand why God set it up the way he did. The good news is the grace of God covers you even now is for you and there are fresh starts, there is hope available to you whether you're dating, whether you are engaged, married, single, wherever it may be, there's hope for you. So I pray this is helpful for you. Come back, join us next week. We're gonna dive into marriage. Right now, we're gonna remember by taking communion what Christ did for us on the cross and then we'll close our time together. Friends, let me pray for us and we'll take communion together. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray for every person in this room that, Lord, whatever season of life they're in, they would begin to look to you, set the course, set the expectations according to your word and your way. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your death for us on the cross. And thank you for this moment of communion where we remember that you laid your life down for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.